You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, Andrew Zimmern from Bizarre Foods. Zimmern stopped by the studio a couple weeks ago. He talked about that time he hung out with Prince. He nonchalantly mentioned how he plans to run for office one day. Talked about some of the not safe for work situations he's uh, gotten himself into while filming Bizarre Foods around the world. And wait, speaking of not safe for work, we also check in with Bon Appetit's Emil Stonic and Brad Leone, our resident fermentation enthusiasts, and we hear about some of the uh, food experiments they're getting themselves into in the BA kitchen these days. So right now, here's Andrew Zimmer to me. Let's give a listen. So Andrew, you marched in here this morning to One World Trade Center and you immediately went to our test kitchen to mm-hmm. pull yourself an espresso shot. It was the opportunity was offered to me. That's and true. You didn't just barge in here. Right? That, yeah, because that sounds well. I there are people who do what I do, who I imagine barge in to places like this and take it over. And that's that's not my style. Um, but once offered the opportunity to go to the test kitchen, I wanted to. Then I walked downstairs and there was the La Marzarco, you know, SP2000. And Is that literally what it's called? Or did you just No, I just that made that up. up. And there's, in, in typical, but it is true, Italian design is very, is very unique. They have lots of bells and levers and whistles, but nothing, their wayfinding and signage is really shitty because the Italians are like, no, if we put a little white arrow or a, a little word that says push, it affects the design. Yes, it's definitely form over function in Italy. Co- correct. So before you got on TV and mm-hmm. before I, you're, you're one of those guys who I've always known without ever knowing, but you're like, oh yeah, Zimmerman, guy on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but you worked in restaurants before you got on TV. Yeah. Now that I've been on television pretty much for 11 years straight, there's a whole generation of people that have no idea that I spent 20 years in kitchens at great restaurants all around the world and I miss cooking. So I take every opportunity that I can to go in and cook something for other people. And in fact, the TV thing started because I insisted on traveling, sometimes just going for two, three days to to the Philippines. I mean, it was just sick schedule. Take an extra day off from the restaurant that I was working in. Which is what year? The, what 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 year? Uh, what this restaurant? is the, a bistro, a French bistro that I was a uh, partner in in Minneapolis. That's long since closed. But at the time was the best restaurant in Minneapolis. I thought. And <laughs> did, did did other people concur? Some did. Some did. <laughs> uh, several restaurant reviewers, some serious eaters. We did some yeah, really, really, really legit. cool things. And, and what, year, what year are we talking? Uh, 1993, 4, 5, 6. And I would tell these stories to my staff about the places that I went and the things that I did. And eventually that became the kernel of the idea that said, you know, Sign, I want to do that to a larger platform. Mm-hmm. And I picked TV. Well, and, well, and wait, I, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. First of all, because one doesn't just pick TV. There's a lot of people. Why not? Who, well, there's a bazillion people who want to be on TV. They don't ever get on TV. Well, this is 1996. It, th- okay. This is not like 1896. Still, there's, you know. But in 1996, TV and food on TV was not what it was today. No. So I looked downstream at, at, you know, all alone one night, you know, lying in bed, not being able to sleep. And I said, I, I want this platform. The biggest platform there is at the time was television. And I had this mission. So I tried to sell this show about telling stories about food through culture, preaching a lesson of tolerance and understanding with other people around the world. And I was kicked out of every office that I went into. Okay, but had you had you done TV at this point? 
I'd been on a couple shows. I'd done a couple things, but it's 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 why. I, and I I knew I was I would be good at it, but it's why I quit. Sold my partnership in the restaurant. Quit my uh, my jobs. And took a three-month internship at a radio station, a magazine, and a TV station in Minnesota because I wanted to learn. And I, I thought maybe I'd have a better – maybe I'd be good, better than I thought at the magazine thing mm-hmm. or the radio thing. And maybe – that because I, I needed some insurance if the TV thing yeah. didn't work out because who says I'm going to have a TV show and then gets one? No, no one no does. No one so, does. So, well, one question. Um, I think nowadays – Obviously, food TV is a huge thing. Um, the young people see Zimmern on TV. Maybe they see Anthony Bourdain and think to themselves, oh, I'd like to do a show like that, but with yada, yada, yada. Everybody but wants to. When you were at that age, was there anyone on TV who you looked to as as an inspiration or thinking that you could riff on what they were doing? All of them. But, but none of them were doing the show I wanted to do, which but who is was why all I thought that, it would who, be successful. I mean, are you talking about food people or <clears throat> early days people? Or? I mean, I mean, remember, Graham Kerr was mm-hmm. still on television. Justin Wilson was still on t- Now oh, wow. in reruns, Justin, Justin Wilson, Wilson was wow. still on Old TV. Uh, Jeff Smith, yeah. you know, uh, and Serial Pederast was yeah. still on I did, I TV. I'm going to let you say that. Um, the well, you're an important guy with an important job. I'll handle. <laughs> but you're, you're, you're the controversial one. I'll handle yeah. all the negative discourse. Um, all the Food Network uh, people were coming. You know, this is ninety six, ninety seven. So you had, you know, uh, what Bobby was on there, Mario was on what, there, not, Sarah not was 90, on there. Not yet though, not in ninety six, ninety seven. Sure, twenty years. Food Network just celebrated two years ago their 20th anniversary. Yes, so. And then there were a couple of like Rick Steves was just starting to make travel television. And I wanted to marry those two things because I had spent a life traveling. I mean, the one thing that guys like Tony and I have in common is that we we actually have lived and do live our brands. Mm-hmm. We're the same people on camera as off. We've always done yep. what we do. If the cameras stopped rolling, Tony wouldn't leave the bar or the restaurant or the conversation with that person because he's legitimately interested in what you see him doing on TV. I'm the same way. I mean, the crew packs up the van and then they come for me last and they're lucky if I leave. But TV is exhausting. Filming TV, is it, it, it might seem glamorous, but it is a taxing Oh, it's horrible, yes, and it's you know? horrible for your life and your lifestyle and your health and your wellness. Because for that half hour of a show, there's many, 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 many hours that go into that. Yeah, and at the at the end of the day, however, I have I have uh, several shows that are aired in seventy three countries, and so the opportunity to to make a point about something that I believe in is worth all of that. Okay, so though, you had a clear idea in your mind, relatively clear, about what you wanted this show to be or what it could be. And couldn't sell it. Yeah, how do you (laughs) communicate that to someone else who doesn't know you, doesn't have a visual to refer to? What ultimately tipped the scales and convinced someone to say, let's do this? I lied. Oh, that's good. So one of the the tools that uh, ended up bringing me down in my addiction and all that life was living a falsity, you know, not being who I was, not being true to myself. Today, I work very hard to be hyper honest and hyper real um, because I don't want to go back to that horrible stink hole that I spent many years crawling out of. However, some of the things that we learn on the streets come in really mm-hmm. handy. So I was in these rooms and I realized I couldn't sell the show that I wanted to to sell because they weren't looking to buy that. And so I 
I put a hook around it, which was, you know, fat white Jew from New York goes around world, eats bugs. And the minute I kind of put that as the as the lead, everyone was like, well, now that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> there you go. And I knew because I knew enough about television because I'd worked in it for a couple of years on the local level and I'd started to do other people's national shows and, you know, stuff like that. I knew in a talent obsessed because by this point uh, in now we're, you know, 13 years ago, I knew that 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 while the networks thought they were important and while production companies thought they were important, the only thing that was important on television was who was doing the talking. Yeah. And I, I reasoned that I could make whatever show these people wanted and that after a year, if the show was six, if it wasn't successful, I'm off television, great experiment failed. And I would be okay because I had faith that everything would be okay. But if it worked, I would have the leverage to twist the show's point of view just a couple of degrees every season and eventually – and it happened faster than I anticipated. But eventually I could make the show that I wanted to make, which is an entertainment show but one that has a very, very serious message. And so, so let me ask you this. You just gave that's me – That's what I make. You, you gave me the one-sentence elevator pitch that got you the show many years ago. What's your one-sentence pitch for what the show is now? Bizarre Foods is a show that tells stories about culture through food, the point of which is to get people to stop practicing contempt prior to investigation in their lives. Which would never have gotten sold if you said that. Well, ever. <laughs> ever. Food, culture, race, differences. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of talk about that recently. Dan Pashman over at The Sporkful, mm -hmm. uh, fellow podcaster over on WNYC, uh, had a series about, you know, is this food racist? Mm -hmm. uh, something that Eddie Wong talks about a lot, about cultural appropriation. As a self-described fat white Jew mm -hmm. traveling the world to other cultures, how do you grapple with that as someone sort of going into other people's worlds? And, and how conscious of you are that uh, of that sort of debate are you? Well, I'm very conscious of all of it. Um, I, I don't start with that premise, though. The first thing I start with is that I'd rather be a better guest than anything else. The second thing I realize is that in many situations, I mean, you know, I go to a show about fancy restaurants in Paris. You know, who gives a shit? I mean, that's easy. You, yeah. you roll the balls out on the court and you let you know, the, the star dunk the ball. I mean, it's just, it's easy. Um, when I go into a tribe in a uh, tribal region in Africa, or I go into the most violent uh, favela in Rio de Janeiro, that's run by an international narco trafficker, you have to take very, very seriously how you present yourself. So number one, I want to be a, a good guest. Number two, I want to make sure that I'm I'm telling their story and I want to make sure that I'm still being true to the story that I'm trying to tell. So I'm not thinking about cultural appropriation. I'm trying to present their way of doing things and how they do things. How, who sets that up? Who's, who, who lays the ground? Well, we right? wanted to shoot – it was a place called Jeppy's Hostel at the time, the most violent and awful place on planet Earth. Uh, a lot of arms dealing went on outside of the place. Uh, that neighborhood, the, the even the army doesn't go in. Well, they go in every couple of years and quote-unquote cleanse it. There's a lot of gang violence and stuff. But there's a, a group of Zulu grandparents that are trying to preserve Zulu culture. Remember, you know, 120 years ago uh, to – 
put people to work in the diamond mines and the platinum mines. These big uh, European companies went into the tribal world uh, in the country that is now South Africa and took several tribes and literally wiped them off the face of the earth and put them into um, – uh, bungalow life in these townships and put them to work uh, as slaves in the mines. So there is a large part of Zulu, Zulu culture in particular being one of them. The Zulus who've tried to preserve their food, their dress, their dance while living in these buildings under control of these European companies. Well, not a lot has changed despite apartheid ending and despite the the a lot of the the issues of 120 years ago disappearing on the face of the earth the undercurrent is that these people are still trapped there with no upward mobility so if you want to seek out Zulu culture, you can't do it by going to the tribal area because in the tribal area, there's a whole bunch of Zulus who have found a living that when the tour bus comes up, they all put on their native outfits yeah. and do play some music and do some stuff and then sell some trinkets. The same thing in the favelas, the same thing in many parts of the world, in the Nagorogoro crater. I mean, we see this. So if you, a lot of shows go and they do what I call the, the pretend, the Disney world Maasai yeah. or the Disney world Zulu. Um, if you want to experience the real thing, you have to go where the real thing is. And sometimes that's a little dangerous and sometimes it's, you have to go through certain levels. So we knew where they these people lived. We knew what was going on in Jeppe's Hostel. And when we went and scouted with our security people and stuff like that, we said we just got out of the van. I mean you got to have some balls at a certain point. And you you walk in and you tell them that you want to tell stories about their food and their culture. And you would be amazed. I mean, even people who spend their day uh, ruling their city block with a machine gun and a machete are like, oh, my gosh, you want to tell a story about our culture and our dance and who we are? Nobody else has ever been interested yeah, in that. No They're always interested in my gun and my machete. Yeah. Um, in the favelas in Rio – when people come from greater Amazonia out of the jungles uh, with foods and food styles that no one in the cities has ever seen before and with, with by the way, fruits, vegetables, fish, meat that nobody has ever tasted before or food styles that people haven't tasted before, they can only afford to live in these favelas. So they go to live – so if you want to explore the roots of those foods from those native peoples, the first peoples of Amazonia, you have to do it in these slums and favelas. So the international narco traffickers, once you find them, I think it took our our fixer, our producer, um, uh, our security people. And then when I arrived on the set, me going in there day after day after day saying, please, 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 please. You know, I didn't sit there and, and uh, pass judgment on the narco trafficker. Um, I intimated he's a bad person doing the wrong thing. However, there's a Robin Hood element to this. He runs a city, this particular uh, favela that we went to. It's 400,000 people. He supplies electricity, water, and rule of law, you know, police there. Do, I mean, so, yeah. I mean, this is, and he provides a safe place for these 400,000 people to live. Doing episodes like that and the internet being the internet, you mm -hmm. must get a lot of comments and criticisms and people bitching or badgering at you. How do you decide what to respond to, what not to respond to? On my Twitter feed, Instagram feed, website, there's so many comments. I don't get a chance to see all of them because they're just whizzing by so far fast. But when I do check them and I see something I don't like, I 
I call it out. I mean, right now, and it's happening everywhere with all personalities will, will talking you, about politics. Will you call it out just to that person, or will you make sure that everyone sees your comment? Oh, I make person? sure everyone sees yeah. it. Because that that person who's saying something is actually speaking for thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people who are seeing the same same thinking the same thing. Um, I just believe in what I believe in, and I believe in my right to say it. So if somebody takes a shot at somebody who's a friend of mine, or puts down a people or a race, or makes a negative comment about a food, or to get back to the original intent of the question doesn't fully understand this notion of appropriation and culinary racism or what I I think it's more ethnocentrism. Um, I talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. But I find it I find it so hard what bothers me about Twitter and, and I'm on Twitter all day. Um, it's it's almost impossible to get into a nuanced conversation you with can't. someone. It's just people you yelling can't. each other in 140 characters and it's these very blunt aggressive commentary and it's not a discussion. Well, it's those are all the trolls. At, that's, yeah. that, I mean, and that's why I like Facebook and Instagram yeah. and Pinterest and, and I get something out of each of them. All right, totally shifting gears. Where were you when you heard that Prince died? I was actually in the mayor of Minneapolis's office. Really? And by complete coincidence, uh, yeah, there's, there's a project that I'm working on. Uh, I mean, I'm, it's no secret to anyone who follows me that I'm very into politics and yeah. want to run for office when my whole TV thing is done locally in Minnesota. Um, <laughs> and the mayor, Betsy Hodges, is a good friend of mine, and there's a public works project there. And I sent her a note that said, unless you get food people involved in this right now, it's going to be a disaster. So she said, great, come down to my office. So I grabbed a couple of chef friends of mine. I said, let's go down and talk to the mayor about this thing. And we walked in uh, and some of her assistants were saying, no, you got to wait. You got to wait. She's dealing with some stuff. But her office is all the way at the end of the hall and she's a friend friend. So she – I see her Mm -hmm. waving me in. So we walked in and I was told that Prince had died. And I checked my Twitter. It was amazing. And watching the mayor of Minneapolis, you never realize what a mayor has to do. The, the extra police on certain streets, permission to keep First Avenue open 24 hours a day in perpetuity until the mayor decided no so they could do these all-night dance parties for free on the streets, providing security, turning all the lights in the build, in the city purple for, you know, putting the lights on the bridge and making the purple. All this kind of – I mean just hundreds of other issues, what to do with security around was, Paisley Park. Was she all em- falls under her purview. Was she emotional or is he, she too besieged by all these – Issues she had to deal with, even having emotion. Both. I mean, she's a lifelong Minnepolitan, mm-hmm. and she's a little younger than me. She's the Prince generation yeah. and grew up listening to his music. I think that her professionalism engaged immediately, and she was dealing with this as you would want to see, you know, a quarterback in the last minute of the Super Bowl down by five driving down the, the field. I mean, you, you, I was so proud of my mayor watching her deal with a very, very tough thing uh, in the face of something that really shocked a lot of people. You know, we don't have many folks in Minnesota that um, – and we have Garrison Keillor. We got Al Franken. You know, we, you know, Kevin Garnett got traded. You know, Joe Maurer's got the bad knee. I mean, it's just – it's awful. Um, you're, you're, you're kind of the guy now. You're, you're next man up. <laughs> That's <You're>... really scary. <laughs> um, but the, the amazing thing to me is um, how much Minnesotans treasured this person. And now Paisley Park is a couple miles from my mm-hmm. house. And I'm – 
I'm not going to lie to you. There aren't that many people like me that live mm. in the Twin Cities. Mm. So I'm talking about like TV folks, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, you know, there's there's not some secret cabal of celebrities in Minneapolis, but there ain't that many of us. So I've I've had my nights at Paisley Park and got so you so you met him. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean. He went to a small church there. He was involved in the community. He supported local musicians. He like lived in Minnesota. He brought all his recording stuff to him. I mean, big when sports, you think about big sports it, guy also. loved. I mean, just just an amazing. I mean, strangest guy I've met in a long time, but an amazing, amazing love affair that he lived with his city where he grew up and never that, left. That, that's that's and what's so fascinating. people. The fact he, that he didn't live in Bel Air or something. Right. People in Minnesota and, and not even part of the time. I mean, he was there in the winter. Um, <laughs> what did you do at his house when you went? What, 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 tell me one story. What, what would happen at Paisley Park? Well, there were, I mean, famously, he would have these parties. And I went to my share of big ones where, you know, the security people come up to you and whisper in your ear if you could come with us and you end up, you know, 25 people in another room. But what was going on at the party? Just kind of like hundreds food of people, and drink and dancing? Food and drink. I mean, be, Serious vegetarian, uh, oftentimes not food, just mm. just beverage. Um, you know, great music playing. He would come out and do some songs. He would introduce a lot of new talent at these parties. Um, but the you know the the great thing for me was uh, one night uh, being there, and he came in, and I forget which. I don't think she it was right after Sheila. Sheila had left. This is probably 12 years ago. Um, and he had that all girl band mm-hmm. um, that he had put together. And uh, he just came in. There were maybe 100 people in the room and he just played for two hours um, just because he wanted to. And I'm sitting there, you know, eight feet away, you know, watching Prince go through. And, I, you know, I paid money to go see him in Madison Square Garden yeah. when he first started and and freaked out. So I mean just gentle cool nights and he was just he was just a he was really a nice guy, smaller than you even thought he was. <laughs> um but he projected an energy. I mean there's certain people who are just real I mean like superstars yeah. that the energy in the room is well, different when they're in it. I, I went back and watched his Super Bowl appearance, which is I think by far the best Super Bowl halftime Easily. show and it was just magnetic and him up on stage in the rain playing yeah. purple rain the giant shadow and it's yeah. just like wow. Like, yeah. It really is like you know raises the hair on your arms. It, it was crazy. It was really. I love the Eric Clapton thing after he got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they said to him, "How does it feel to be the greatest guitar player in the history of the world?" He said, "I don't know. Ask Prince." <laughs> um, okay, so uh, lightning got, round. Lightning round. We got to do this. All right, ready? Either or questions. Sure. Yeah, we can do this. I, I love. I love this kind of thing. Eyeballs or testicles? Testicles. Any ones in particular? Uh, poultry. Poultry. Tuna, most eyeballs are are not fun to eat. Tuna eyeballs are maybe one of my favorite quote unquote organ meats of all time from big, big, big tuna. They have so much muscle behind them mm-hmm. that is tense like a short rib. It's amazing. Wow. And the fat that's around the eye is better than bone marrow. Wait till people see my Okinawa show. I really dissect uh, and I use that word <laughs> loosely um, why it's so much better. Um, but yeah, testicles in general, when they're super fresh and they come from, you know, ge- big geese, big chick, big roosters are absolutely sublime. Fried? Uh, fried. I, I actually like sautéing, dust them in flour, sautéed, and treat them as you would a piece of fish a la Meunier. Mm, a little okay. bit of white wine, parsley, yeah. and butter. All right. Vikings or twins? Vikings. 
last flight out at night, red eye, or first flight out in the morning? Red eye. Red eye. Always. Saves time. Twitter or Instagram? Instagram. What do you like about Instagram? I like that you can project an image and you can tell a story underneath it. And I try not to exceed very many words. And the 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 evil twist to this is that I have a program on my phone that my IT guy put on. So all of my pictures go directly onto my Twitter account yep. in the form of a picture as opposed to a link. So I get the mm -hmm. best of oh, both cool. worlds. I like that. Um, Minneapolis question. Replacements or Husker Du? Replacements. Imodium MD or Pepto-Bismol? Pepto. But I, I will tell you, I don't really use them. Penis or placenta? Penis because there's more that you can do with it, although both are delicious. <laughs> if more people tasted placenta, they would be amazed. It tastes like liver. I'm done. It has to be fresh. Here's the problem. <laughs> I would see placenta in jungle markets all over Asia for, for 20 years, and I never once bothered to eat it because a placenta in a bag, plastic bag getting hot under the sun, to me was like a trip to the hospital. Yeah. But when I was on uh, that, that farm in, in Vashon Island in off the coast of uh, Washington, just about an hour's ferry ride out of Seattle, and a horse was birthed, cow – excuse me, a cow was birthed, I ran to the placenta with my pocket knife because I had never tasted one super fresh and the cow had just expelled the placenta. So people were kind of shocked and horrified, but I'd waited like 15 years to try one. And when I tasted it, it tasted like raw liver. And I love the Teresiga restaurants in Ethiopia that serve all the raw meat and liver and you dip it into lemon juice and berberet and, and eat it. And so I tasted the placenta and there was a lot of parts of it that were kind of messy, but the, the main part of the placenta that kind of holds together tastes just like liver. So I'm dying to get another one, slice it thin, dust it in flour and do like a foie de veau treatment mm. to it so <laughs> I can see if it holds up under cooking. Last question. This might be too basic for you, but uh, olive oil or butter? Um, you know something? I'm going to say butter because butter is back. Yeah. But, you know, butter is the new cupcake. It's the new foie whatever, whatever <laughs> it is. I mean, you know, like I, I love butter. Um, I will say I collect olive oil. I'm, I'm a big smuggler. Mm -hmm. And so I bring I mean, I just brought back a quart of olive oil freshly pressed from Cyprus. Um, Hopefully there's no TSA guys listen to this show. No, all the TSA guys love me because they know that I don't bring back anything that's going to have bad things in it. Yeah. And they all would rather <laughs> get stuff. a picture of me for their wife or for themselves than open up my bags. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Zimmern. Thanks. Brad, last time we were here, you had like a fish head and some sort of lab jar thing going on. How, how'd that turn out? No, not so good. We were. <laughs> <laughs> what was that again? I was trying to make fish sauce. It was a, a version, a method that I looked up on the internet uh, about how you can just add a bunch of different fish, different fish, and some spices, and a little bit of water, and then some salt, and you let it go for about six, seven weeks, and uh, it was pretty much inedible. I'm pretty it, shocked that that didn't work. You know, it, you know why? Because it wasn't Bon Appetit tested and approved. It was, well, he just it, found it on the internet. <laughs> I just did air quotes and see that's what you get, Brad. Yeah, com. Uh, I mean, it wasn't. It, it was. I tasted it. You know, nothing bad happened. But um, <laughs> it certainly wasn't. There was no reason why I would use that over 
like a really it's just a store bought fish sauce. What is your what is your favorite store bought brand? I like I like Red Boat a lot and squid. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. All right. So what what do you got going now? What's your what, what's your first subject? So to yeah. Speak so today? something I'm really really into now is uh, making my own vinegars. Because, you know, in the kitchen, we test with a lot of wines and we have, you know, different, we'll use champagnes for cocktails and stuff. And there's a lot of leftover. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, it's four o'clock. Let's just do a test of champagne cocktail here in the test kitchen. <laughs> More like 930 in the morning. Yeah. And um, so there's a lot of like, you know, half bottles of stuff. So I, can, I put them into a big glass vessel with a little bit of a vinegar mother, which is, you know, like if you ever have Bragg's apple cider vinegar and there's that little bit of it, it almost looks like a, like a white little disc floating in there. That cloudy but, yeah, stuff at the bottom. It's just, it's just a bunch of cultures that have combined to, you know, come together and formed a solid. But it's, all those live enzymes are, are, in the, are in the vinegar. So if you add some of that to a different wine, um, in this case, red wine or champagne, eventually, you know, in a few months, it, will, it becomes vinegar. And uh, I started fooling around with different blends of sherry. And uh, my, my favorite right now is it's Creek Beer, which is a red ale that's aged on oak with cherries. And I mix that with red wine, let that go for about two months, and it came out just fantastic. So you can use the same vinegar mother for all kinds of different vinegars? You don't need to have, like, a red wine vinegar mother, a white wine vinegar mother? I think you should. I think they are different. I think for red wine and white mm-hmm. wine, I think they are. I've used both, and it seemed yeah. to have worked. Uh-huh. Um, but I do think that if you were going to continuously do it, that I think that there are two different two different types. I think what's interesting about these projects and whether it was your ill-fated fish sauce or on the flip side, the vinegar, what you said it was sherry and craft beer sort of. Yeah, there was one was a sherry, which was by yeah. itself. And then the other one was red wine and creek beer. Creek beer. And what's interesting, like you don't know for a couple of months whether or not it's going to be good. Oh, yeah. Right. You just got to. Be patient and trust. And you taste it along the way, and you start uh-huh. getting excited, and you can tell if it's starting to go south or not. Yeah. But these just really worked out. Well, so. with something like vinegar, and if you're doing it this home, which doesn't at home, it doesn't seem that difficult. But how do you know when it's ready? Just by taste. You just constantly taste. It. You can dip a little straw in there and just taste a little sample of it. And when you get that right acidity level, mm-hmm. you know I like it real bright and, and 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 acidic, so that I can just use a little bit of it. Or you know, for salads, like just real simple, a little salt, a little pepper, a little olive oil, and just a little spray or a little, you know, a little drizzle of the vinegar. Well, when it's ready, is there anything to do to stop it fermenting or whatever? Yeah, or it, you yeah. can take it. So what I do is I drain it. That's a good question. I take it out of the jar, leave the mother in there, and. Um, and bottle it and then I keep it in the fridge or just keep you can keep it at room temp but then it will continue it will start to it'll form a new mother and start to go more so how come there are some vinegars that you buy at the store and they're at room temperature and you store them at room temperature but your vinegars you need to refrigerate or bottle or they'll keep on fermenting right I mean I would I'd have to look at the labels and some of them some some vinegars might be pasteurized Uh uh-huh yeah um I know some aren't like Bragg's and that is a raw vinegar and mm-hmm. I, that will continue. Yeah. Um, I mean, it gets to a certain point where it'll plateau right. and it, and the, eventually the yeast and the, and the bacteria they'll die and, uh, and it won't become anymore. Cause those yeast and bacteria are eating alcohol, right? right? So when it runs out of food, it, gotcha. it will hypothetically mm-hmm. stop. But if you, if you want it to keep going, you can keep feeding it a little bit mm-hmm. or it'll just go until you, until it runs out of food. Gotcha. All right, Emil, what do you got going on? Well, inspired by all of the kombucha making that Brad has been doing, I was remembering that in the first first book on fermentation that I ever read, Wild Fermentation by Sander Katz, <laughs> when, which you're, is now when you were like six years old, <laughs> I was you know I was maybe like fourteen or fifteen. Um, 
he was talking about how, you know, kombucha is normally made like a fermented drink made from tea, sweet tea, and then like this big blob, this this kombucha mother. Um, and he was saying, you know, you can really make it with anything that has sugar in it. You could even make it with Mountain Dew. And so I was rem- I was looking at all of the kombucha making that Brad was doing. And I was like, we should try to make some kombucha with Mountain Dew and Coca-Cola. So we bought a couple of liter bottles of soda, put it in a jar, put some mother into it. And, and where did you get the mother from? Uh, from Brad. Yeah, he, we, oh, we sacrificed yeah. some mother. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, very big of you. But so, I mean, these are almost two two weeks old. Yeah. So I think they're ready to ready to taste. Right, so we got little one. Dixie cups. The yep. Mountain Dew still looks like Mountain Dew. It doesn't change color. Uh, no, apparently not. <laughs> and it tastes like Mountain Dew. Well, the Scoby won't eat uh, food dye number yellow five or something. It tastes slightly, <laughs> slightly <laughs> fermented. Like, go, it tastes a little I'm bit gonna, different. I'm going to go with slightly. What, Brad, if you let this go longer, will it get more fermented tasting, or will it still just taste like Mountain Dew? I mean, it took I me mean, a little while to have me get in, you know. Behind this, uh, yeah. with any kind of enthusiasm, Brad's like, oh, Brad's just officially he's I not mean, he's not endorsing this project. Should, no. we try the, should we try the Coca-Cola? Let's try the Coca-Cola. Let's, please. That definitely tastes more different. That tastes, yeah, yeah, it tastes different. And it might be something that has to go a little longer. I mean, there's so much stuff in it. It, totally. um, I don't see why it wouldn't work. I just right. think Mountain Dew is invincible. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like probably, it's like you like the government, the military probably uses Mountain Dew I for know, like, special yeah, yeah, ops. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the thing. It's like you know, I'm not trying to make kombucha out of these things necessarily but it's cool to kind of push the boundaries of that and see like what you can ferment that way and then you know figure out what the what the limits are and it feels like commercial soda is maybe yeah. kind of right on the edge all right uh brad what, what do you got next up yeah so another one i've been fooling around with is uh just i was making regular miso paste which is um you know no big deal well i was fooling around with that but uh i got into fooling around with some we had a byproduct of making nut milk uh, one of our food editors, Rick Martinez, was making different homemade nut milks from cashew and pecan. And there's a byproduct of that, which is like a real fine pulp. Okay. Um, it's the fiber. And after what, you, you know, press all the liquid after out. After you press everything. all the liquid all right. out. So it's, so like, it's, like, it's like sawdust, but, 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 but made wet. out of nuts. Yeah, it's, it's more paste. Yeah, paste. And I added that with koji powder, which is just an inoculated rice. It's the, one of the main ingredients in, in making miso. Okay. And you add that and you mix it together and... You put it in a glass jar and you put a weight on it. And uh, this one doesn't need to go as long as traditional misos, which are like six months to a year. Why not? Uh, I think that some of the, the properties in the nut start to go rancid huh. and get a little weird. Um, so in, in a good way or bad way? I'm like, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't know if you guys. I don't know if that's a good thing. Rancid's never good. Um, uh, so, so, so how long did this go for? These went for about two and a half weeks. And it started to smell kind of like alcohol. Um, and it, it tastes a little tingly and nutty and good, and I think it's sick. But uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's I, I love I love how the like the litmus test is. I think it's sick. Yeah, right, I right, mean, right. there's like good. <laughs> yeah. there's really good, yeah. and then on the other side, yeah. there's like. Well, I, I didn't, didn't get, get sick. sick. I mean, it's a beautiful color. So can I see? Well, that's what I, what do you mean I a beautiful color? That's like <laughs> that's like grayish. What is that? Beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. What it's is like beautiful? Chocolate about and mocha and. Uh, yeah, I don't can know. Can I see it? Can you slide over here? So he's got a ball jar. Uh, have, it looks kind of like a yeah, kind of a beigey, grazy. Yeah, give it a smell. Paste. Whoa. It smells. It smells. It smells nutty, but smells a little nutty, fermented. A little funky. Nutty. Yeah, I would. You could taste it too. So, what are you gonna do with this? Uh, I'm not sure yet. Maybe. Um, oh, it's very fluffy, almost. I yeah. thought it'd be more dense, like yeah. clay-like. And uh, so, I mean, maybe mix it in with a little soup wow. or a vinaigrette or some kind of marinade. Uh-huh. I, I just 
this is the first. It kind of gives you that umami boost. Yeah. If, you, if something needs a little kick in the pants, it's weird add, enough. You add it and uh, so maybe put that on like some fish or a marinade or what a was dressing. The, what were the nuts that you used? A pecan and cashew. Okay. So you're, I, I will not get sick if I taste this. And no promises. No promises. But no you, promises. <laughs> uh, you, you probably have a strong. Well, gut. this one yeah, sings the nostrils. The pecan <laughs> is so sweet. Yeah, it's pretty pretty yeah, cool. And there's it. no added sugar. It's just the koji, the nut, and a little bit of salt. All right, so Brad hasn't killed anyone. Emil, uh, what about you? <laughs> so one thing I started a couple of months ago and kind of forgot about, I had taken, I think I saw this on like Melissa Clark's Instagram or something, but couldn't find any recipe online for it. But it was garlic, whole garlic cloves in honey. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, I mean, what I did was I just peeled a bunch of garlic, um, put it in a glass jar, and then poured like a you know another a jar of raw honey over top of it, and put a little salt in, put like a you know dried chili in, and a little bit of water to thin it out. Wait, why the salt? You know why not? Why not? And why, and why the water? Just because I was you know, I really wanted to make sure that all of the cloves were going to be submerged mm-hmm. and they weren't going because at first they were kind of floating. Uh. Um, so, but after you know about a week or two, the garlic cloves had really given up a lot of their liquid into the honey. And so you had this honey that was really kind of garlicky, a little bit spicy, a little mm. bit funky. And it was, mm. you know, it's fermenting because it's raw honey and it has live cultures in it. Um, but yeah, you had this honey that was just like really um, sticky, sweet, garlicky, really good on pizza, yeah. really good drizzled on just some, some meats or mixed into like a kind of barbecue sauce or a wing sauce. Mm. And then you can also eat those whole cloves if you just mash that up on a cracker. Or See, this is making me hungry, Brad. Now we're talking. <laughs> we did a hot honey pizza here at Bon Appetit. We did. Cast iron pizza. You can find oh, it on Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Brad, and that's your video, I might right? Have done that, yeah. Brad Leone. <laughs> he just raised his hand. So you can find that at bonappetit.com. The, it's a cool sort of like cast iron skillet pizza. Yeah, with a drizzle of like it's chili honey. Yeah. But this set would. Just bring it to another level. Why not, level. Why not yeah. throw some garlic in there? We're going to get some going. Uh, all right. So I want to taste that next time. Brad, oh, yeah. uh, you got one more. What do you got? Yeah. Another thing I'm going to start doing tomorrow. Uh, I've done it before, but I just want to start hanging them here. Is you get some some mushrooms. I mean, I start with shiitake or maitake, and uh, you hang them anywhere where they can pick up some natural sunlight. And uh, you can Wait, dry- you used to have all these chili the peppers, peppers yeah. hanging from your dish rack here. What happened to those? Well, they hit their sweet spot. And I, Again, uh, how do you know? It's just by touch and by feel. Uh-huh. You want them to be a little pliable. feel like dried chilies. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, you can put them in a bag or, and you can keep them in the freezer. And they'll stay, they'll stay fresh for when they can just pop them out whenever you need them. And they come right back to life perfectly. Little flavor bombs. And yeah. you can just keep them in the freezer and uh, pull one out when you need it. And Bomba. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm hanging the mushrooms. Especially the... It's, it's just really... You can keep them in the freezer as well for up to like six months once they're dry. And they, you want them to get dry, completely dry. And uh, just hang them in sunlight. And mushrooms are one of the only things that we can get vitamin D from other than the sun. So when you dry them, mm. when you dry them in the sun, they actually increase in their vitamin D content because, because they soak it in from the sun as they dry. So you want to hang them where they have exposure to, to sunlight. And they'll go from, you know, vitamin E, uh, like a IU, which I think, it, uh, what's that stand for? Um, international unit. And uh, it, it'll go from four IUs to like up to 26 to 30, just in the drying process of vitamin D. That's and wild. so what might you do with the dried mushrooms? Then you can, oh, good question. I can, you, you turn them into a powder and you can use them on a rub or you can put them in a, in a braise. You can just take the whole mushrooms and throw them in stock or in soup, put them in rice. I mean, and if you were to soak them back in water, they would, they would reconstitute. Rehydrate. Yeah, rehydrate. Yeah. Wait, Brad, have you ever smoked? I've been thinking about doing dried mushrooms this summer, but I really want to smoke them. 
get like a bunch of them and kind of get like have that to be like the start to the drying process. That'd be cool. Like kind of like a light hot smoke. Speaking of smoking, you have like a you don't know oh, pizza so oven or so what's crazy. And is this legal? So you know, it's like we get emails all day long from people who are kind of pitching their new products, and you know, a lot of it is garbage. A lot of it is not stuff that we have any interest in. But what really caught my eye is this: somebody had sent me an email about a it's a small single pizza wood wood fired pizza oven. So it's all it's made of metal. It's all stainless steel, and it's made by a company called Uni. U-U-N-I. It's Finnish. I don't remember what it's Finnish for. But, so it's like, it just comes, I, it, I, I, I it call fits, one in. It fits one pizza? One kind of like 14-inch pizza sort uh-huh. of situation. And it's fired, it takes wood pellets. So it oh, comes with like, oak, like compressed like, oak pellets. Like the big food grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, you just, you put them in the back, you put a match to it, and then in 10 minutes, the inside is up to 900 degrees. Wow. And so you're, you know, you're cooking pizzas in like 90 seconds in that thing. I mean, I haven't tried it yet. I'm going to try it tomorrow. Um, and you need, a, you need a peel to get them in and out. Yeah, it comes yeah. with a little peel, but it's pretty small. You know, it's like sitting on my picnic table outside in my yard. Um, and, you know, it seems like it's good for like five or six, seven pizzas. And then you just throw a little bit more in. But I'm also excited to use it for like for fish, yeah. for whole fish, I mean, for steaks. Degrees, yeah. You know, you really got a lot of firepower What there. What might you throw on the pizzas tomorrow? Do you have any sort of ideas? Oh, I haven't really gotten oh, that Oh, come on. Yet. Come on. I mean, I you know, I'm thinking about the garlic honey. I'm thinking yeah. about like a spicy soprasada and garlic honey situation. I'm thinking about, you know, kind of the spring greens that we're still getting um, and just doing, you know, some, just tossing them with a little olive oil and... Um, like a little bit of vinegar and salt, just putting those on the pizza and letting them wilt. Nice. Um, what sort of cheeses might you employ? Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I like mozzarella. Yeah. You know? When when you are for, for the listener, crazy with cheese. What, what kind of mozzarella should the listener buy when they're making homemade pizza? You know, I mean, they're. Oh, Brad is Brad let's, just let's raised let, his Let's hands. let Brad Leone Brad, take that. Brad's one. actually Italian. I've <laughs> part. I've had I've had um, really good experiences with just like the block low moisture yeah. part skim mozzarella cheese. Oh, like not get. not the fresh kind. I mean, you can go that route, but they tend to leach out a lot of water when you cook yeah, them. Yeah, well, especially yeah. don't don't ever use. I mean, I love the imported buffalo mozzarella to eat, but that's so much such a high water content. Yeah. to just like well, it's a waste. and it's just yeah, it's, it so feels expensive. like a waste. It's yeah. like I like I also I was worried that people are going to make fun of me. I like the <laughs> compressed like kind of cheap. Part. Oh, it has its purpose. Yeah, yeah it's low in a tight wrapper, and you got to cut it open. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I never would have just box grated, and it, yeah. I mean, it works perfect. You yeah. get that nice gooiness. You don't get puddles of water. Right, and then you get your your ball of buffalo mozzarella, and then you tear it up and put olive oil on it. And you eat that for an appetizer. There you go. Because you can't have too much cheese. That's <laughs> true. Or I carbs. Am, I am kind of lactose intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> Selectively so. Uh, well, guys, thanks so much for joining. Uh, I look forward to our chat next month to see what sort of dangerous and diabolical things you get up to. If I'm alive. Yeah, if you're alive. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Belle Cushing and Carrie Polis, with editing by Mitra Kaboli, and additional assistance from Christina Che and Lily Sherman. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. Look for new episodes every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to... Our print magazine, In the Flesh, at bonappetit.com slash summer grilling. We have a pretty good deal right now in the spirit of grilling and summer and all that. Three issues for $5. 
at bonapetit.com slash summer grilling. 